Young adults, what is going on? You guys doing good? How many people are so much happier that it's not snowing? There's not snow on the ground. I never thought I would be like this. Like when I was a kid, I was like, love snow, like trying to get out of school. And here in Denver, like y'all can get like three feet of snow and they're like, school's still on. Like Virginia, like there's like a, just like a frosting on the ground and they're like, no, I'll cancel it for a week. And so I don't know if that's where like my attachment comes from, but man, today is gonna be a good day. Anybody ready for a good night? Hey, I love you guys. I, I really look forward to Thursdays. It's an honor to be uh, one of your pastors. Somebody said this the other week, I, and I never even think about this. My name is Connor, by the way. The guy is like, hey, you never say what your name is like when you're up there. I'm Connor. If I haven't met you, nice to meet you. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm also uh, in charge of our volunteers. Can we give it up for our amazing volunteers? The men and women that serve you every single Thursday to make young adults happen, they are amazing. Hey, I know Andrew asked before, but uh, just for myself, first time here, show me your hand real quick. First time, first time. Hey, what's up? Give it up for first timers. Hey, I want to let you know up front, I know I say this every week, but I mean it. You do not have to believe everything we believe to belong here, but I believe that Jesus is the most incredible person on the face of the earth, and I will go even further to say that Jesus was more than a person. He was God incarnate here to take away our sins. He was crucified for our mistakes, but raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit so that you and I can actually get to know God on a personal level. And so my challenge for you tonight, even though we're talking about sex and marriage and sexual is that if you don't know Jesus, maybe just allow some space in your heart to consider him, to be who he says he is. And if you're in here tonight and you've known Jesus for as long as you can remember, would you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you more? Because he is the most amazing person in the world. And so would you just open your heart to what God and the Holy Spirit want to do in your life tonight? Is that cool? Can we do that? I feel good, so if you don't give me anything, that's fine. I'm going to give you everything I have, and I'm going to make you feel guilty if you don't give me a little something. Okay, hey, we are in our dating series, our relationship series. I love you so bad. Week one, if you have missed any weeks, go back and watch them. Andrew set the bar high by talking about how we need to have vision for our relationships. We need to have vision for our singleness. We need to have vision for our lives as a whole, especially when it comes to relationships and dating. And so if you missed the first week, a lot of what we are talking about is building on the foundation of having a vision for yourself in your singleness and in your dating. Last week, we talked about this, this dating in the gray kind of area where we like to make excuses for ourselves if we don't date exactly how God wants, but it's not super bad. And then tonight, we are going to talk about sex. Sex. Sex! Now that I have your all's attention, Michael Scott. Okay, um... No, this week I want to talk about sex and specifically the effects of sex outside of a marriage covenant and what it actually does to the human soul and the effects it has on the marriage bed. I don't know if you noticed, there's a bed behind me. This is going to be our marriage bed, not our marriage bed, a marriage bed. All right, let's focus here. Here's the thing. I am aware 
that some of the deepest wounds we as human beings will ever experience comes in the realm of sexuality. And so please hear all the words that I'm going to say tonight, the challenges that I'm going to put forward tonight, um, the truth that I'm going to kind of present tonight. Hear this with grace because nothing that God does, the Bible says that Jesus came with truth and grace and, and no truth that God gives is, is out of anger or harshness, but it's a grace to push you forward into the better that God has for your life. And so we're going to talk about some serious stuff tonight, but I believe that the best that God has for us is sometimes found on the other side of truth that might make us uncomfortable in a moment. Or I believe that the best that God has for us might just be on the other side of some pain that we like to press down or ignore. And I think God's best comes when we face that pain head on and deal with it instead of live in denial of it. I think that is a step to experiencing God's best. But last week I was thinking like, okay, what do I wanna say? How do I wanna follow up that sort of dating in the gray concept? Like what can I talk about that would, would just kind of further um, the message, further our series? And honestly, kind of what I boiled it down to is this, what are the things that I wish somebody would have told me before I was married? What are the things that would have saved me baggage in my marriage, heartache with my spouse, awkward talks with my wife, fights kind of within our first year of marriage? Why didn't somebody tell me? Like, sit down and really tell me, not like make it flowery, not make it not hurt as much. Like, why didn't somebody sit down and tell me the things that would have saved me pain and heartache? later down the road? Why didn't somebody tell me that the choices that I made today with my sexuality and my sex life actually do have consequences later down the road? Why didn't somebody tell me these things? And so tonight, I just want to tell you some things that I wish somebody would have told me and been straight up with me about the realities of sex and what can happen if you are having sex outside of the way God intended it to be in a covenantal relationship. And so tonight, nothing that I have to say holds any weight or should have any weight in your life if it's not founded and rooted in the Word of God. And so we're going to turn to the, to the Word of God and kind of get the heart for this message out of God's Word. We're going to go to two places, Genesis chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Genesis 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It'll be on uh, one of the screens behind me if you don't have your Bible. We're going to dive right in. Genesis 2, starting in 24, it says this. It says, Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. That means sex. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 15, it says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the member of Christ and make it a member of a prostitute? No, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, and as we just read, two become one flesh. 
But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, it's outside their body. But the sexually immoral person actually sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is actually a temple of the Holy Spirit who's within you, who you have from God? Listen, you are not your own. You were bought with a price and a high price at that. So glorify God in your body. The title of my message tonight is this, the things we bring to bed with us. The things that we bring to bed with us. Let's pray and we're gonna jump in. Father God, what an honor it is to gather tonight to be in your presence. God, I pray that as we worship you, as we elevate your word, as we elevate Jesus, as we elevate how you tell us to live our life, would we get revelation from your Holy Spirit? God, we don't need another sermon. We don't need another sex talk. We've got so many avenues where we can learn about this, but what we need is a clear picture from you deposited in our hearts so that we walk out different, not with just information, but with a revelation that'll change us from the inside out. And so God, I pray that tonight, every word that I say is prefaced with your grace. I pray that it is followed with your mercy. I pray that people tonight would be challenged. They would be convicted in a good way to know that there's more, that there's better, that there's purpose, there's passion, there's healing available to them through the Holy Spirit and through what Jesus has done. So Jesus, we elevate you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. All right. So I don't know if a lot of you would agree with me or not. I think this is a pretty accurate statement. We live in a culture that is obsessed with our bodies. Would y'all agree? We live in a culture obsessed with our bodies. Like normally, the week before I preach, I've never dieted better in my entire life because there's nothing worse than seeing a picture or an angle of myself where I'm like, wow, unflattering picture of my body. We live in this world that we're obsessed with sort of the looks of our body, how our bodies look. And I can back this up statistically. At any given time in the United States, 45 million people have gym memberships. Maybe half of them actually use gym memberships, but 45 million people are, are members of a gym at any given time in our country. Americans on average spend $33 billion a year on some body-altering product, including exercise equipment, special diets, and weight loss pills, and other products. Trying to look good, okay? In 2018... 17.7 million Americans received some type of cosmetic plastic surgery. The top three, including breast augmentation, liposuction, and nose reconstruction. People just trimming their nose down. That's all right. Outside of video games, which is so weird to me. Outside of video games, fitness and beauty are the top to subscribed YouTube channel uh, categories outside of video games. It's just so weird, like watching other people play video games. Like, play it yourself. Like, isn't that the point of a video game? Is to like play the game yourself, but whatever. My brother watches other people play video games and he loves it. So he's part of the problem or part of the solution. I don't know. Um, but besides that, 
Fitness and beauty are, are the top two, the top two out of the three subscribed YouTube category channels. Some of the most popular influencers on social media fall into the category of beauty and fitness. We have dye to color our hair, paint to cover our nails, makeup to cover our face, and spanks to cover everything else up if we just had a bad weekend of eating and we don't feel like dealing with it, okay? But not only are we obsessed with the look of our bodies, we live in a culture that has a lot to say about the handling of our bodies as well. We're not just obsessed with how our bodies look. There are a lot of people with a lot of opinions on how you should handle the body that you have. And these are some narratives that I believe are pretty prevalent in our culture concerning your body, how to handle your body, and it trickles into our ideology on what we think about sex. One of the first narratives that our culture uses when talking about your body is this. It's your body, and nobody gets to tell you how to handle it. It's your body, and only you are the person that gets a say in how you handle your body. It's yours. You choose. You, it's, it's all up to you. And now listen, I agree with that to a point, because if you are in here and you are in a dating relationship, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend should have zero say, zero say on what happens with your body. The only time you get a say in the input of somebody else's body, the Bible says husband, the, wife, the husband has rights to his wife's body and the wife has rights to the husband's body. That's the only time where a boyfriend or girlfriend's input should matter matter to you. It is your body and you are the person that has say over your body. But what's interesting is there's a lot about your body that you had zero say over. There's a lot about your body that you didn't choose. Number one, you didn't choose to exist. You didn't choose to have a body. Two people got together and decided that you were going to have a body. So while it is your body, you did not get to choose to have a body. You did not choose yourself into existence. Two other people chose that you were going to have a body. You didn't choose your biological gender. You didn't, uh, well, as you were being formed by your parents, you didn't say, okay, I'm shooting for the NFL, so I want to be a six foot five male that can run a 4040. Like, you didn't choose your height. You didn't choose your speed. You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose your ethnicity or what country you were born in or, or the skin color that you have. You didn't choose your hair or your eyes. There is a lot about your body that you had zero say over. But the Bible says that God formed your body before you even existed. Psalm 193 says before you were in, the, he was knitting you together in the womb and he knew you before you were even you. And so logically, if you didn't choose to have a body, if you didn't choose things about your body, it would make sense that the person that did choose you to be into existence and did knit you together in your mother's womb have a bit of a say in how you choose to handle your body. 
And so the second sort of narrative, it's your body, you get to choose how to use it. The second narrative that sort of naturally follows this line of thinking is this, if it's your body and you choose how to use it is this, your body is simply that, a body. Your body is this random collection of cells and, and, and hair and eyeballs and skin and whatever that just so happen to form in a certain way that you can interact here on earth. And there's sort of this underlying narrative that goes with this is that the real you, the real person is not your body. The real person is your spirit or it's your mind or it's your aura if you're into some of that hippie stuff like that is like that's sort of a narrative is that hey my body is just a body the real me is is my values my my perspective like all that different things and if you fall into this line of thinking that it's your body you have ultimate say over it and that a body is just a body then you will treat it just that way you will treat your body simply as a body and you will give in to all the physiological, biological impulses your body has because, hey, this is just a body. This is just how I exist. But God created you. God created your mind. He created your spirit and your aura. That's not a real thing, but he created it. But he also created your body as a part of you. And God actually thinks your body is so much more than a body, so much more than just some random instrument that allows you to interact on this earth, so much more than a tool, a vessel for sex and pleasure and work and play. God actually places a ton of value on your physical body. He says this, that God actually made your body in his image. As God was creating heaven and earth and animals and, and birds and fish and all this different stuff, God actually spoke that into existence, but he knelt down and formed your body, the human body, and it said he breathed the breath of life into the human body, and it says that man and woman both are made and created in the image of God. It's not just your mind or your heart or your spirit that reflects the image of God. Your body is a reflection of the image of God. God actually came down and Jesus had a body. Your body is part of the image of God. But not only is your body part of the image of God, God says that your body is now a temple for the Holy Spirit. See, back in the day, the Holy Spirit used to rest on people, and the Holy Spirit would dwell in a building, a literal temple that the Jews made, where God's presence would come down and he would meet with his people. But God said, now your physical body is my new house to, home, to make home to my presence and my power. Your body, the Holy Spirit, is not floating out in space somewhere. He's not kind of wandering the earth, like waiting to like show up at a young adult service. Like when you walk in a room, the Holy Spirit walks in the room with you because your body, your actual body is the home, the temple for the Holy Spirit. God places immense value on your actual body. Finally, God says that your body, your physical body is eventually going to be resurrected just like Jesus. 
Your actual body, the Bible says that you will be known now in heaven as you are now. Your body that you have is going to be resurrected to be just like Jesus when God comes back and calls you home and and Jesus comes to wrap this thing up. And so, I don't know, maybe if you want a nice body in heaven, start working now or, I, you know, like, I don't know. But God places so much value on your body that your body will actually be resurrected. And the Bible says that you will have not necessarily a new body, but a perfected body. The way that, the way that Jesus does, one that's, that's not uh, open to diseases or, or cancer. There's no pain. There's no death in heaven. Like You will have the, a body, your body, but it'll be perfected like Jesus The world says your body is just a body, but God actually places so much value on your body. And the final narrative that kind of is floating around um, in culture concerning our bodies, and I believe this is the most dangerous one of uh, of sort of the narratives around, around our bodies and around our sexuality is this. If your body is just a body and you have the ultimate say over what happens with your body, then this, sex is just a physical, pleasurable experience in the moment with no lasting repercussions. If your body is just a body and you have the ultimate say in it, then sex is just a physical, pleasurable experience with your body in a moment with no lasting repercussions. That is a narrative that is just weaved throughout all different things, movies, literature, uh, whatever, music within our culture. And can I tell you, That could not be more of a lie if I ever heard a lie in my life. The fact that there is no repercussion for sexual activity outside of marriage is the biggest load of bull I've absolutely ever heard. But what happens is we we buy into that narrative. And and tonight, I just want to tell you, like I said earlier, I wish someone would have told me that. I wish somebody would have told me that, listen, your body, God designed it. Your body, God has a plan for it. Your body, God has a say over it. Your body is more than just something to work out and to eat and to have sex with. Your body is valuable to God. It's a temple for God's presence. And your body, when used misappropriate, when misappropriated, doing things with your body that it was not intended to do, has repercussions that you will have to walk out in this world. Now, luckily, not apart from Jesus. Because of Jesus, we always have his grace, have his mercy, and have his guidance. But when you misuse your body, there are repercussions that come with doing things outside of the way that God intended. And so I am going to make a bold statement here. But I want you to follow me and allow me the opportunity to explain what I mean. So if you write anything down, write this down. I should have made it a slide. I didn't. Um, But I want you to write this down. Bonus points in heaven. Automatic six-pack. There we go. With your resurrected new body. Okay. Here we go. There is not one sexual experience that you will have outside of marriage that in some way won't follow you to bed inside of marriage. There is not one sexual experience that you will have outside of marriage that won't in some way 
follow you to bed inside of marriage. Now let me explain. When God created sex, he made sex to be a powerful and bonding experience between two people forever. When he designed sex in God's perfect picture of sex and marriage, the first one person would only know what sex is like with one other person. One person would only have a sexual encounter with one other person. I'll prove it. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the first time that sex is ever mentioned in the Bible it involves a man and a woman leaving their parents. Now, right there is enough for some of you to write down and go home with and contemplate. It says, leave your parents. <laughs> it should just be a cultural rule. You can't have sex if you still live with your parents. Like, <laughs> sorry, that's just the way it is, but... It says the, fir the first time sex is mentioned, it says a man and a woman will leave their parents. And it says this, it says they will hold fast to each other, meaning they will begin a life together separate from their parents. It doesn't state this explicitly, but a lot of commentators believe this is foreshadowing a covenant of marriage, saying that they will hold fast to one another. And it says this, they will become one. And, and that is a very polite way of saying they're going to have sex. They're going to leave their mom and dad. They're going to create a life together within a covenant of marriage. And they're going to have sex. And the Bible, why is sex so funny? Just saying sex. Like, it's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> they're going to have sex. All right. But then it says something interesting following uh, verse 24. It says this in verse 25. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So the first two people that ever came together and had sex, the first two people that ever went to a marriage bed, they were naked and they knew no shame. Now, why could two people go to a marriage bed, get in bed together and experience no shame in this process? Because they had no other experience to compare it to. And so the reason they felt no shame was because they had nothing else to hold up against it. They had nothing to compare it to. They had nothing to measure it against. They were naked and they felt no shame because they knew no better. This is all they knew. This one person knowing this other one person was all they ever experienced. And so they, they felt no shame in this. And listen, this bed, this tiny little bed, maybe not this one, but this bed, this marriage bed, was made to be one of the most awkward places for two humans to interact together. I mean this. This bed was made to be one of the most awkwardly freeing experiences that two humans come together to have. It was made to be a place where two completely naive people explore one another for the very first time. This bed was to be a place where elbows are flying, knees are kicking, and you don't know what's happening. Like, you don't, like, is this working? Like, I, you know, I don't know. Like, 
This bed in God's original design was made to be one of the most ignorantly blissful places that two people could come together and connect on. And this bed was designed to be free of any guilt, any shame, any judgment, any comparison, or any condemnation. In God's perfect plan for sex, this marriage bed is one of the most free, life-giving, and empowering things a human being could ever experience with another human being. It's healing. It's beautiful. It's bonding. It brings people together in unity. In God's world, this was supposed to be the most weirdly awkward and uncomfortable and figuring it out place two people could come together and grow closer together. But here's what happens. When we as Christians adopt a cultural narrative and a cultural mindset, we begin to get cultural results. And as we begin to kind of take on this ideology of, well, it's my body, I'll do what I want, it's my body, it's just a body, and sex really has no lasting repercussions. And so as we start to adapt that mentality, we start to get results produced by that mentality and not produced by God. And what happens is a place that should be a place of ignorance and bliss and freedom and exploration quickly becomes a place of shame and comparison and baggage and guilt. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's talking about the value of your body and the weight of not taking sex seriously. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, hey, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What he's saying is the choices that you make with your body sexually can and will affect you in ways that other things just can't. One of the things that is most closely tied to the human identity is our sexuality. And Paul is saying, when you misuse your sexuality in ways that God did not intend, it will affect you in ways that you never thought possible. And when you make a decision to have sex outside of the safety of marriage, Paul says, it's not just a sin issue. It's not just like, oh, this is kind of bad issue. It's not just a, I don't trust God's timing for this and my life issue. What he is saying is, listen, you are affecting yourself in this decision. You're affecting yourself in ways that you can't even fathom down the road. And listen, they will change you and they will affect you far beyond the moment where the act of sex takes place. Paul is saying sex just affects a human being differently. And as you accumulate these sexual experiences, what was designed to be a life-giving place, a free place, an empowering place, quickly turns into a place where some of our greatest pain and some of our greatest scars can reside in bed. And because God designed sex and marriage to be a place that's safe and secure with that spouse, that one person, but when we adopt a different mindset and view, and we choose to kind of go with what culture says or what we think is best, we start reaping those, those uh, repercussions of what those decisions are. 
When God said, no, 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 this, this, this was meant to only bring life. This was meant to only be fruitful. This was meant to only be a blessing. This was meant to never cause pain. This was meant to, uh, to build you up. This was meant to connect you with another person. But here's what happens. We start to get into a relationship, right? We start to date um, we, we hang out for a while, we, we recognize that we like each other, and uh, you find somebody that's attractive. And, and you guys are spending time together, you're dating, and things are moving forward nicely, and you start to talk about what it would look like to become engaged, and you start to look like what it would talk about what it would look like to be married. And so what happens is, because your mind's going in that direction, because you're having those conversations, what happens is you think, okay, we're serious. I can start to kind of make decisions that only married people should be able to make. And because you feel comfortable with one another, and maybe you genuinely love one another, you start to have sex, even though it's outside of the confines of the way that God and intended it to be. And here's what happens. You guys break up. Let's say you break up. And what God meant to be a place of security for you now becomes a place of confusion for you. What was supposed to be happily ever after, what was supposed to be never ending, actually becomes a place of confusion. And what we don't realize is we wear this confusion now, not just in that moment when it happened when the breakup occurred, but we carry this confusion about sex and relationships and staying together forever with us into every other relationship that we have. Or maybe you guys have been together for a while and you've been dating for a little bit and, uh, and you're committed to one another and you start sleeping together and over the course of just some time or whatever, you, you check their browsing history or you check their phone. And you realize that this entire time you guys have been sleeping together, they've also been watching pornography. And now a place that was supposed to be a place of connection for you two now becomes a place of comparison for you two. Because you wonder, if I can rip this, you wonder, wow, while we're sleeping together, I wonder if he's thinking about all the other people that he's been watching online while we've been sleeping together. Or I wonder if she thinks I'm not good enough because she has to turn to people on a screen. And so a place that was meant to be secure for you uh, and a place of connection now turns into a place of comparison. And what the culture won't tell you, what society won't tell you is that now you carry that fear of comparison into every other relationship that you go into, even into your marriage relationship. Or maybe, here's the thing, maybe they cheat on you. And maybe the place that God intended for you to feel empowered now becomes a place where you're ashamed, you're embarrassed, you're guarded. And so now, now because they've cheated, you now have to wear the mark of being guarded, of being ashamed, of feeling not good enough. And what God intended to be a place where you were loved and empowered, now you carry a mark of guardedness in every other relationship that you walk into. You're now just a little more guarded because I'm not gonna let that happen to me again the way that it happened the first time. Every decision that you make and having sex has a lasting impact on you. Or maybe, honestly, maybe 
you guys are dating, things are great, you love each other, and then one day you just agree that, hey, things aren't working the way we want, there's no bitterness, there's no betrayal, there's no whatever, you just kind of, it's run its course, but you've slept together the whole time, and now you know things about sex, about what you enjoy, what, what you know you, you want out of a sexual relationship, and now your next relationship has to be playing catch-up to your preferences that you didn't discover with the person you were supposed to discover that with. It doesn't all have to be bad. It doesn't all have to end in heartbreak. It can be a really good breakup where you guys are, were having sex and you, you're friends and you still care about each other and there's no hard feelings. But now you know things that God never intended you to know outside of the covenant of marriage. And now you carry that knowledge with you into every other relationship that you have. And here's what happens. And here's what culture and here's what society will not tell you is this. One day, you're going to find that one. You are going to find that person. And you are going to fall in love. And things are going to be amazing. And they're going to be just right. And they're going to make you laugh. And they're going to, you know, like, whatever, like, celebrate Christmas in July, whatever weird, quirky things. Like, you have found your person. You found them and you get engaged and you get married and all your friends come to your wedding and you're partying and you're having a great time. And oh my gosh, you couldn't be more in love. You couldn't be more obsessed with one another. And it's an amazing, it's a beautiful thing. And the wedding's over and you start heading to bed. But what nobody told you was what comes to bed with you is your confusion. What also gets in bed with you is your comparison and your shame. What also gets in bed with you is that knowledge of stuff that you shouldn't know about, but you do. Listen, the decisions that you make now with sex and sexuality outside of marriage, they follow you to bed. And culture will not tell you this because they want you to feel empowered, but it, it's, it's backwards. It's a lie. You're not empowered. You're a slave to your own impulses. Like, I wish somebody would have told me that the decisions that I make with sex outside of marriage don't just end when I get married, but they follow me to bed and get in bed with me even when I'm married. A place that God intended to be connection and unity and freedom has become a place of, wait a minute, wait a minute, why am I taking my clothes off and I feel insecure right now in front of this person? Wait, why is this? This is like the, the second time we're doing this and why are they telling me what they like and what they don't like and how do they, how do they know that? Wait, I wonder if while we're having sex together, I wonder if they're comparing me to other experiences they've had. I wonder if, am I the best that they've ever had? Is this, is this better than what they've ever had? Or is this, and what God meant to be a place that builds you up, young adults, now can become a place of some of your greatest insecurity. And Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians, he says, guys, you have no idea how important this is because when you live like this and you treat sex as just this flippant physical thing, like it follows you. And listen, real talk, I'm not trying to get too personal, but this is part of my story. And listen, the first year of my marriage was amazing. 
everybody's like, marriage is hard, marriage is work. Yeah, it, it, it can be hard. It's two people coming together. But my first year of marriage was amazing. But listen to me, it took work because nobody told me that some of the decisions that I make will follow me into my marriage. And listen, because you get married, two people really do become one when you get married. And what that means is your baggage, your scars, your issues that you bring to bed with you now becomes your spouse's issues, your spouse's baggage, your spouse's scars, and vice versa, their issues, their baggage now becomes yours. And two people that were supposed to be completely ignorant and naive to this amazing gift that God has given us is now working out each other's situations and baggage that they brought in to the marriage bed with them. And it takes work now. Because what God said should only be done between one person and another person forever, just those two people, you have experiences you, you, you've, you've gained situational awareness. You know what happens and what goes on. And nobody told me that because of that, it would now take work to get back that security. It would take work to get back that freedom. It would take work to get back that, that almost ignorant state of, of figuring it out with another person. It would take work to get back to that place. But I want to leave you with some good news, because here's the good news. Band, you guys can make your way on up. I mean this from the bottom of my heart when I say this. Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, can all things become new in all pasts, in all problems, in all situations. God can erase and he can make this bed new again the way he designed it and intended it to be. But listen, it is only because of Jesus. It's not because of your effort to try harder, although maybe some of you in here should try a little harder. It's not because of, of, of decisions you make or I'm gonna be good or I'm not. Listen, only Jesus can break the bonds that sexuality and misappropriations with sex can put on a human soul. But there's good news because guess what? Jesus did do that. He died on a cross. The Bible says he actually made a mockery of all of hell's power to destroy you. And it says he rose triumphant so that you can experience freedom in this. Now listen, all condemnation that comes from sexual mistakes that's on Jesus. Your soul, the human soul, was never designed to walk in condemnation. That's why the Bible says that Jesus took your condemnation on the cross. But listen, like Paul says, God's word is true. There are consequences for decisions that you make outside of marriage and having sex. But I want to share with you for a minute God's heart on this situation because this is heavy. And I don't want a single person in this room sitting here feeling condemned or hopeless. There's a story in Luke chapter uh, 7. Luke chapter 7, near the end of, near the end of that chapter. And, and Jesus, Eric, Eric Parks a couple weeks ago actually talked about this story. Jesus is invited to a party at a Pharisee's home. Now, this was sort of like a setup. The Pharisee invited him over because he wanted to embarrass him and let people know that he did not agree with Jesus and he was not bought into this whole Jesus camp. And so Jesus comes over to this dinner party and is popping. There's a lot of people going on. There's a lot of people over. There's food. There's dancing people. 
people are having a great time, but this Pharisee, he doesn't welcome Jesus. He doesn't hug Jesus or kiss Jesus, which, is, which was a traditional thing to do. He doesn't wipe Jesus' feet. And so only Lord knows how this woman got here, but there was a prostitute that was sort of hanging out around the outside of the party. And she recognized who Jesus was. I love that broken, hurt people recognize Jesus and run to him because he's a safe place to run to. And this woman, she recognizes Jesus and she's like, hold up, no, 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 no. Nobody treats Jesus this way. And she runs to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she pours perfume on his feet. Now listen, this perfume just wasn't some random thing that she had. This was, this was a symbol of her prostitution. She would sleep with a guy, put perfume on so she wouldn't smell bad, sleep with another guy, put perfume on. This, this perfume was a symbol of all the broken parts of her life, every sexual scar that she accumulated having sex outside of the covenant of marriage. She pours it on the feet of Jesus and she starts wiping it with her hair. And the Pharisee, he comes and he's like, oh my gosh, if you only knew the baggage that that woman carried, if Jesus was real, if he really was God, he would know the kind of woman that is approaching him. He would know that she's sexually scarred. He would know that she willfully makes decisions to have sex outside of marriage. He would know that she's broken and that she's hurting. If, if Jesus really knew what was going on, he wouldn't accept her. And isn't that what the enemy likes to whisper in our ears when we have real talks like this? Is that, yeah, 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 but if, if Jesus really knew about you, if Jesus really knew, and the Pharisee says, Jesus, if you only knew, and Jesus says, oh, I know what this woman is about. I know about this woman. I know about her. I know the pain she carries. I know it. And this is what I love so much. You can read this story for yourself. But in front of everybody at the party, Jesus accepts her offering of brokenness. But he doesn't only accept. Jesus defends her brokenness in front of her accusers. But then Jesus just doesn't stop there. He forgives every mistake that she's made. And get this. He says, woman, I forgive you. Now go in peace. Jesus gives one of the most broken souls, one of the most sexually scarred souls, acceptance. He defends her. He, he, he fights for her and he says, go in peace. You're forgiven. Young adult, would you stand? You might be in here tonight and everything that I've been saying might have been hitting home for you. And listen, maybe you need to go home and make some decisions about that relationship that you're in. Maybe you've been in a relationship and you love that person. And it's not bad. It's, it's, it's nothing crazy. You're not incompatible, but you've just made some mistakes from a pastor's heart who is imperfect, but only saved by the grace of God. Listen, don't accumulate more baggage than you need to because you have a spouse that, that is counting on you to be as available as possible. And listen, God will redeem every mistake you've made, but he will, it takes work and he's gonna walk you through that. So just make your journey of healing as short as it can possibly be. If you are in here tonight, and as I'm, as I'm challenging you in this, if you feel condemnation, if you feel um, 
convicted. Will you just allow the spirit of Jesus to accept you because he does? Just like Jesus accepts that woman, God accepts you where you are, but God doesn't just accept your situation. God actually will defend you against your accusers. He will defend you against that voice of condemnation that says you've gone too far, and then Jesus will forgive you if you cry out for forgiveness and get this. This is the best news. You can actually walk out of this room tonight with peace that only Jesus can give. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this room tonight and you don't know who Jesus is, I asked you at the beginning of the message to consider Jesus. All I want you to know is this, that Jesus loves you, he accepts you, he'll defend you against your enemies, he'll forgive you of every wrong, and he will give you peace like you've never experienced before in your entire life. If you're in here and you're like, hey, before this message, I didn't really care about Jesus or know about Jesus, but I would like to just know him a little more. Could you please lift your hand? If you would like to just know Jesus a little better tonight, would you raise your hand? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I said this earlier, but I believe that sexual mistakes can cause some of the deepest pain in our life. And here's what I want to do. During this first song, I wanna open up this altar to you because listen, the only requirement that God has for acceptance, defending, for forgiveness, and for, for peace is that you run to him. That's all that it is. There's no speech you have to give you. All this woman had was brokenness and it's what she gave Jesus and Jesus said, that's all I've ever wanted is your brokenness. And so during this first song, if you have business to do with Jesus, if you need God to come and restore parts of your life where you have made mistakes, if you are in a relationship right now where you're willingly sleeping together and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whenever you do, that's him telling you, do not do any more damage than you're already doing. But listen, right now, God can begin that healing process. And so during this first song, if you would just come to the front, listen, it doesn't have to be weird, do it on your own time. But I want you to make a moment, make a mark in your mind, draw a line in the sand and say, tonight, I take my first step towards healing. Healing. Tonight, I take my first step towards reconciling my sexuality. Tonight, I take my first step in obeying Jesus and watch what Jesus will do on your behalf. Can we pray and we're going to worship Jesus? Move in the hearts of people. Holy Spirit, heal wounds. Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Holy Spirit, bring grace. Holy Spirit, let people know that they are accepted, defended, forgiven, and there is peace available more than they can ever understand. Jesus, it is in your name we pray. We love you so much, and everybody said amen. Let's worship Jesus tonight.